0: Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones.
1: Happy Wednesday, everybody! Tom and Keith back with you. Big night for the Knolls as Georgia Tech rolls in, and we got to get this train back on the tracks. Hello to you, Mister KJ. Hello to you too. You, you've got the
2: uh, radio attire going
1: on. I noticed first, I, first I, time in shorts. And I have flip-offs. I have hearkened back to my days at Channel Twenty Seven here. I've got flip flops and shorts on. I used to have uh, about four sports coats eight shirts, which I would occasionally dry clean, and, uh, you know, six or eight ties, and you never knew. Uh, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. The whole key with that, though, is you do have to remember that you're wearing something different on Thursday than what you wore on Wednesday. This is a complete aside, but since we started here, I won't name names, but when I worked at Channel 27, there was a weekend weather guy who was part-time. He was working on his PhD at FSU, and there wasn't a clothing allowance. Uh, I don't think there was for any of the talent, but there wasn't for the part-time weekend weather Certainly guy. not I, I for him. I you. So he made it a point. He had two outfits, the Saturday outfit and the Sunday outfit. That would be me. And he wore them every Saturday and every Sunday for the length of his tenure there just to make a point. People would write into the station – and you know, tell him to change his shirt and tie combo. But he was determined to make a point. I'd, I'd wear a uniform if I could get away with it. See, this is what happens. We talk about what we're going to talk about on the show, and then something like that unfolds, we never get to it. All right, it is a big night uh, for the Knolls uh, with Georgia Tech in town, and uh, I was not. It turns out, probably a good thing. I was not here on Sunday. I've been out of town at a conference the last few days. I also did not watch the basketball game on Sunday because I was at this conference. Uh, I've certainly heard about it. I've seen it. I've read about it. I've debriefed with you. It doesn't feel any better. I don't think it will until you go out and play the next one, provided you get a win, which is what Florida State needs to do today. They obviously need to turn the page on this, get back to 500, and then go from there.
2: Leonard doesn't like talking about it, but this tonight is a must-win game. If you don't win tonight, your chances of making the NCAA tournament are just uh, very, very difficult. Uh, go back, and I'll give you my one synopsis of comments. Everybody's so frustrated with Bacon, and everybody's pointing their finger at uh, XRM, and and you know even the comment that uh, Booker lost track of time. That whole fiasco started with Coach Hamilton, and yeah. and candidly, Coach Hamilton was the reason that we are in that fiasco. Um, the kids didn't know what to
1: do. Who's in charge of telling the kids what to do? So you're on the side of take a timeout. Take a timeout. No question. In Hamilton's defense, he did make some adjustments at halftime that got the team back to where they were to be in that point. The timeout question always comes up because to me it's a little like – I mean, it always comes up in end game situations. It's a little like second guessing play calling in football. Uh, when a play doesn't work, it's easy to second guess, but, you, you know, unless you truly know what the team had showed on tape and what, you know, and who didn't execute. So when you talk about it in basketball, if you don't call timeout and you run a play and you score, well, that was the best way to go. But if you don't call timeout like FSU did and you don't get a good look, then clearly you should have, t- you know, hindsight well, is twenty twenty is what I'm uh, saying.
2: Leonard's comments immediately after the game, and I have not talked to him since the game, but his comments after the game is, we wanted to get the ball in bacon's hands the ball was in bacon's hands so therefore that's what we wanted just one problem Dwayne didn't know that Dwayne didn't know that that's what they wanted right because it had not been communicated to him therein lies the crux
1: of of the problem yeah there are times when leonard has taken it this is when i'm not in favor of it and I, i don't have a specific example to cite but there's been times posing team doesn't have a timeout fsu does uh, opposing team is down by one last possession. Leonard will take a timeout to set his defense, but in so doing, he gives the opposition a chance to set up their offensive play. Uh, and I get it. If if you don't take the timeout and your defense isn't set, well, clearly you should have taken it. But those are times when I'm not necessarily in favor because right. you're giving the other team a, a chance. But and, and, and you are correct. That has occasionally happened. That said, uh, I mean, we're on Wednesday. The game was Sunday. I think this has been... Well, and that said, a great second half, uh, halftime adjustments. Kudos to the coaching
2: staff. Florida State was down by 11 at halftime, uh, was down by as many as 13 early in the second period, closed that gap, got close, uh, played terrific defense, held Miami overall for the game to just 38% floor shooting, uh, held their own on the boards, uh, were right there at the end. Uh, you know. So kudos to the coaching staff and the kids. But like everything else in life, you got to get over that hump and that's what makes it hard to digest.
1: Now, I will say because I've heard some posit that uh you know, they look at the games that FSU had a chance to close out and didn't. Most notably, Sunday night against Miami, the pit game, and I say, Iowa. Iowa. And boy, if you get those things right, you should have three wins. The problem with doing it that way is you just take for granted that there were other games that FSU did close out like NC State and Virginia. Or- Virginia, Florida, and so to me, those things always come back to the middle. in other words i wouldn 't argue that FSU should have three more wins right now. I would argue they should have at least one more, be it Pitt or Miami and everything else, to, you know, as Jimbo likes to say, the other team has scholarship players too, the other thing balances out. But that said, boy it 's going to be tough come selection Sunday if you 're one game short again, and you look back, whether it was Miami, and again i didn 't see the full forty minutes. I was at the pit game though, and I know that, and and that was a game where FSU had a lead, and you could just slowly feel it evaporate. I still believe that, given the strength of schedule,
2: and if, uh, and because there's no bad bad losses, uh, if they can get to nine and nine five hundred in ACC action, maybe maybe they got to win one in the in the tournament in Washington. I don't know, but if they do get to nine and nine in the conference, I think Florida State's in. That's just the way I'm looking at it.
1: Get one. And I, yeah, I, nine and nine, and you win the first one in the tournament. I might, I might be with you on that. You know, LSU has gotten a ton of hype because of their fantastic freshman who's going to be the number one pick in the draft. Florida State's tandem right now, as FSU fans know, is as good as what FSU's ever had. But it, it turns out, and I wasn't aware until you pointed this out, that if Bacon and Beasley finish the year averaging what they're averaging right now, they'll be the best freshman tandem in terms of adding their scoring averages together in the history of the ACC. The history of the ACC. And uh, the the roll call of the groups involved, ironically,
2: again, pardon me, ironically, the leaders right now are from Georgia Tech, who Florida State plays tonight, Mark Price and John Sally, two pretty significant games. And then behind them, Johnny Dawkins and Mark Olari, Rodney Rogers and Randolph Childress, Joe Smith and Keith Booth at Maryland. So, yes, if they continue that string and do finish as the most – prolific scoring dudo duo as freshmen that's some pretty rarefied air
1: yeah well and the point i was making by bringing up lsu is there seems to be this push we got to get this guy in the tournament well how about this tandem that's pretty good that uh you know basketball aficionados know who they are but uh but casual fans don't necessarily know uh by the way we'll digress here did you see the comment that somebody made in regard to Syracuse, that when it comes time to evaluate Syracuse for the tournament, they're going to discount all the games that Bayheim was suspended? Like, that doesn't matter because he wasn't there. We're only going to look at the games they played while he was coaching. This actually happened. I can assure you the tournament committee is
2: not going to do that. Well,
1: that was, it was a mock, it was a mock tournament thing exercise that they bring the media through. I, I don't know. I see the look on your face. It's the same look I had and anybody with a brain had when they read the comment to say, uh, you're. so he was suspended for NCAA issues, and now you're just going to wipe out those games and evaluate them only on the games that he was there. It was just bizarre.
2: As, as my grandmother would say if she was still living, pushaw. That was a word in West Virginia. I, I'm just telling you.
1: Okay. There you have it. He's Keith. He's not from West Virginia. He's from near West Virginia, Leesburg, Florida uh and uh technically wildwood be careful oh that's right i I apologize how did i mess that up every time i drive through wildwood from miami everything i drive through Wildwood, exactly i don't claim miami i take (laughs) fort lauderdale point taken but everything every time i drive through wildwood i notice that there's actually two d's in the word yet i never hear two d's when you pronounce if you're
2: from wildwood it's pronounced w-i-l-e w-o-o-d
1: Right. if you're visiting it's wild it's wild wood there you go all right we're gonna we're gonna shift gears from uh, basketball talk we'll get back to it later on when tim lenefeld our seminoles.com insider uh, joins us we will uh, talk baseball in just a little bit do need to mention uh, madison social and uh tip our captain matt thompson and the fine folks there they do their trivia night every tuesday uh terrific brunch on the weekends if you are not going to the game tonight which i would encourage you to do uh if you're listening to this show right now you're in town go ahead and go even if it's nine o'clock tip but uh, if you're not madison social not a bad second option very much all right mike martin seminal skipper since 1980 getting set for opening day again this friday and uh, the guy affectionately known in these parts as 11 will join us next when we continue on the front row
0: front row with tom block and keith jones got a question email them at the front row at 97 9 radio.com here's tom and keith
1: welcome back to the front row on this wednesday evening we'll bounce back to basketball in just a little bit the knolls hosting georgia tech tonight at the tucker center a must win for fsu baseball season literally right around the corner, less than 48 hours now until Florida State opens this 2016 campaign. And just like every campaign for the last 36 seasons, the head coach of the Seminole baseball team will be Mike Martin, and he's kind enough to join us now. Eleven, how are you?
3: Great, Tom. How's everything with y'all?
1: Everything is terrific. We appreciate you taking a few minutes to join Keith and I. And I I, I know you love baseball, but I know you love golf, and there's lots of other things. So I guess just a, a really broad question, why still coach as, as, long, as long as you've been at it? What, what is it that brings you back out there and gets you excited about opening day and, and doing what you do right now?
3: Watching guys get better. It, it's just a, it's a real turn-on, for lack of better descriptions, for me to see a young man come in as a boy and leave as a man, and during the three or four years that he's with us, He learns the exhilaration of being a good teammate. He learns the value of a college education. And it just is so exciting for me to see that guy who I never thought would amount to anything as a baseball player. And not only does he end up starting for us, he ends up not as a a great Major League Baseball player, but a guy that does extremely well and contributes so much to society. Just relationships, a lot of people say, well, I, I just I, I just see it as an experience to see those young men
2: improve and grow. Eleven opening day is Friday. Off-season has ended, but you've had a pretty eventful off-season, a little bit of a under, undercarriage and suspension work. Uh, done b- below the waist for uh, for 11. That little gate out to pull the pitcher might be uh, look a little different for fans. <laughs> I think I'm going to run out
3: there, Keith, the first time I go.
2: Well, you'll have 3,000 <laughs> people fall down. They won't believe it.
3: <laughs> well, uh, David Bellamy just did a great job, and I feel tremendous. Uh, I was playing golf literally weeks after I had the double knee replacement. I I did what they told me to do. Ironically, y'all will love this. The physical therapist that I had at the hospital, my wife told me, she said, honey, I love you, but you're going to stay the extra five days to do that physical therapy over there. Miss Carol
2: is not a fool.
3: (laughs) (laughs) The guy's last name was Tebow. Oh, no. (laughs) And he was awesome i mean he did a great job in getting me back on my feet no pun intended i was i was tickled to death when i walked out of there after five days
2: well mickey andrews told me that if you're going to have one done have both of them done because if you have one done you'll never have the other one done <laughs>
3: Well, Mickey's never been wrong, and he's sure dead on with that one. (laughs) uh,
1: Eleven, tell us a little bit about this year's team. What do do you like about what you've got as you uh, roll out the bat and ball on Friday?
3: I think we're going to be able to put a little bit more pressure on the opponent this year. Uh, With the move of Busby to first base and a couple of outstanding freshmen, we've got a chance to cause some problems. We just need to, of course, get to first base to make some problems arise. I like the pitching and the fact that a lot of them are young. They're going to get better as the season goes on. We've just got to be patient with these guys because there's a, a tough schedule ahead of us. I mean, Rhode Island I mean, everybody like Rhode Island. You got to be kidding me. Snow all over up there. How do they get anything done? Well, we played on their field two years ago when we were playing at Boston College. And they're getting their stuff done because you may not get it done at Boston College, but you can show Bud get it done at Rhode Island. And the guy does a good job up there. Then you've got a very good college at Charleston and then another regional team. Uh, and St. John's coming in before we play our Atlantic Coast Conference. So we've got our work cut out for us, but patience is a big word for us this year.
2: Uh, I I don't remember a time coming into the season, uh, uh, Mike, when when the ACC has been more thought of. I mean, you've got the the defending national champion with Virginia, perennial UNC, NC State, Clemson, uh, although Coach Leggett's gone, uh, you know, they're always what they are. Uh, our right. friend, our friends in Coral Gables. I mean, this is a pretty, pretty loaded. Con- this is a pretty loaded football and basketball conference on the diamond.
3: No <laughs> doubt about it. It's uh, one of those years too. You, you didn't name probably the best team in the league, and that's Louisville. They have great pitching. They returned their number one starter. He did not take. Over a million uh with the dodgers
2: thirty fifth pick, I think I read somewhere, Mhm-,
3: wow, his name is Kyle Funkhauser, and he is the real deal, and they backed that up with a closure that throws literally a hundred. The guy throws a hundred, and we saw him last year, and uh there were some there were some people that didn't exactly catch up to that hundred, so they're a very good team also. You got a uh, probably four other clubs that don't get the attention that the Virginias and the Miami and the Louisville's get, but you're talking Wake Forest and Virginia Tech. Uh, got two teams right there that can that can beat you two out of three routinely on
2: weekends. Well, and plus you got series with with uh, your, the 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 rival in Florida, which. You know, it's preseason number one in in a lot of people's minds.
3: Very good club. Lost some very good players, but uh, recruiting, he he had a great year recruiting. They're going to be a challenge, and it does nothing but help us get better when we play a team like we'll be playing every single weekend. And in a lot of midweek games, you're talking about, well, there's three midweek games I'm very familiar with, and that's the University of Florida. We've got UCF and USF. USF went to a regional last year. There are just uh, so many good teams on our schedule that I'll repeat myself and don't call me Rubio. I'm just saying that we got to have patience.
1: <laughs> we're talking with uh, Seminole skipper Mike Martin getting set for uh, another campaign, number 37 for you as head coach. Of course, that doesn't count your years as an assistant and uh, as a player, as a center fielder. You know, it, it never really did work out as a high school basketball coach for you, though. I guess, you you know, coming from North Carolina, you probably thought that was the future at the time you were coaching hoops.
3: Oh, That's, 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 that's so many good memories. I went over to Godby last night to watch my grandson play. And when I pulled in, of course, so much had changed since I was there. But I looked at that gym and it brought back a a lot of great memories from the young man that I coached there in basketball. I mean, Jimmy Everett, the the great guy that lost his life to uh, MLS, uh, ALS, excuse me, uh, two years ago, his son... Uh, Tyler pitched for us at Florida State and I remember the great times that I had coaching Jimmy and Greg Jones and of course Mike McLeod was there as a student I know you might think that you know I was of the normal age I was in my early teens when I started coaching at Godby so don't start counting years well then that means you were 8
2: when you were at Raw
1: (laughs) (laughs) 11 let me you know in these parts we talk there's football season and then there's recruiting season too which you know signing day was a couple weeks ago and i i know you know coach fisher well uh and there's always a lot of talk about football recruiting but but i'm curious i mean in baseball where you have to a you don't know if you're going to lose the guys in the draft every year Uh, and B, you don't know until July half the time who's coming, who's going because of the draft. I'm just curious how frustrating or tough that is to recruit on an annual basis because the dynamic is not the same in the other sports as what you have to deal with in baseball.
3: Tom, that's a great question. You know, we had an outstanding pitcher, and he was in summer school. He was happy. He was excited about being a Seminole. It, it was the 13th of July, and July the 15th is the cutoff date where professional people cannot sign the guy. Well, they offered him 300000 Ironically, when Funkhauser, a guy that we talked to about earlier at Louisville, did not sign, that opened up more money. So they turned around and offered Krause, the young man that was here, an additional 200000 He got a note from his parents. While he was in class, the Dodgers have upped their offer to a half a million. He got up out of his seat, got in his car, and drove home. I never talked to him. He called me on the way out of town. I never talked to him. He's gone. So you might say there are frustrations (laughs) in this business. We're two days away. We're, We're just, we know we got him. But the classic one was when we lost the catcher. We lost him in June, the guy that we had recruited. And then all of a sudden Cal Raleigh became available when Coach Leggett was let go at Clemson. And Meat did an unbelievable job in getting him here. And with the help, of course, of Stan Wilcox, we got him here. Long story, but this this kid's pretty good.
1: Well, and he was going to be my next question as soon as you mentioned catcher. uh, Obviously, you know, Buster Posey sets the bar pretty high, but even before Buster, historically, Florida State has had very good catchers. And now you've got a kid as a freshman that's going to come in and play, and that is not something that happens historically, so kind of give us a thumbnail sketch since we haven't seen him play yet. What makes this kid so good potentially?
3: Well, he's got a great upbringing and from an outstanding coach. And his daddy is named Todd Raleigh, who was a baseball coach at Tennessee for four years. He was also the head coach at Western Carolina. And how all of this came about is he played for Jack Leggett at Western Carolina so that was that the uh, Cal had signed with Clemson and then when Jack was relieved he got a release Uh, Todd Raleigh got a release for his son Cal from Clemson which opened it up for others and we were very fortunate that he chose Florida State He's 6'3", 215, switch hitter, will hit in the middle of the lineup, has a great feel for the game. And I'm not saying this to attract any extra attention, but this guy can catch the ball as well as any freshman I've ever coached. But remember, Posey was a sophomore when he started catching.
2: Understood. <laughs> Coach, the one guy I keep my eyes on is Deluzio. Uh, I'm just so impressed with his physical abilities. Uh, what do you expect out of him, and, and who, who are some of the other guys we need to keep our eyes on?
3: Keith, he is a guy that can be a game-breaker. I mean, he's. it's like having a wide receiver out there with a so-so corner. You know that this particular wide receiver is going to get open. This the kid can run as well as anybody with the exception of maybe prime and some of the outstanding center fielders that we've had one or two. Drew could fly, but this kid just needs again to play every day. He's learning the game. He's figuring out what it takes for him to use these God-given talents, and in so doing, help our team win. This guy can mess you up. I hate play guys like him. He gets on first base with a walk, and he turns it into a double. And you made a good pitch, and the catcher made a good throw, and he beats it. Outfield-wise, starting to learn to get better jumps. Clyde Keller's working with our outfielders now, and Clyde's doing a great job with him. Benny is learning the game. I'm excited to see what this year holds for him. That- Left field, we've got uh, Gage West, um, a, a freshman, Jackson, Luke. Luke is a switch hitter. Getting better, just needs to play. A right field, we've got uh, uh, Miller. We've got uh, Stephen Wells. And we've got a young man named Donovan Petrie. He's a freshman. Left-handed hitter in Petrie, and the other two are right-handed. So we'll probably platoon in the corner outfield positions, and then with Busby at first and Henderson, Matt Henderson. He's from Chico, California, so naturally his nickname is Chico. This guy is a good-looking player. Taylor Walls has been playing much better at short. That's what a year's experience can do for you. And John Sansone has been very impressive as a third baseman, of course, moving from second. But it all starts with those on the hill. And when you talk about our arms, you, you start, of course, with Compton but you've got Drew Carlton who pitched in the rotation last year, and then you've got two very good freshmen in Cole Sands and Tyler Holton. Again, one of the reasons we were successful last year was because we had outstanding middle relief. Well, uh, Dylan Silva's gone. Uh, Billy Strode's gone as our closer. We've got to find out who can settle things down in the middle part of the ball game? We've got some ideas, but they're unproven prospects. And we've got a closer that pitched at Stetson last year uh, named Tyler Warmuth. And we're hoping that uh, Tyler gets well. Right now, he's got strep. He's missed the last two days of practice. We're hoping he's ready to go Friday.
1: Well, I know it's your favorite time of uh, year 11. You get it all started again on Friday. We really appreciate you taking a few minutes to uh, to chat baseball with us. We could do this for a lot longer, but we'll let you go and uh, and get set to play ball.
3: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you both. And thanks for the great job that you're doing, bringing an outstanding sports program to our great listeners here in Tallahassee. All
1: right. Thank you, 11. Appreciate, appreciate Eleven. it, as always. A lot be to ready. react to uh, there, KJ. We'll do that in the next segment. But uh, – uh, I, I guess the biggest thing and i did we didn't ask him this specifically but he's as excited and energized at the start of every season uh i mean it doesn't seem to wane in the years i was with the baseball team announcing it was the same level every year that's that's one of the things that the great ones have you
2: you would see it in coach Bowden even in his advanced age you see it in mike um it's what keeps them going it keeps them young and uh it it's it's pretty remarkable given this is year 37 38 whatever it is that's a long
1: time in one it's a, place it's a lot of wins no question a lot of trips to the mound too but as he said he's going to spree called it he's going to sprint out first time he makes a change you want to take a bet on that no i don't want to take that bet all right we'll come back talk more baseball and then tim Linefeld or seminoles.com insider will join us we'll get back to basketball this is the front row <laughs>
0: Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones.
1: Chuck Berry bringing us back, ladies and gentlemen. How are you, Keith? uh mike martin just a, a legend in these parts first time i ever interviewed him 1989 season when i was a student at uh and he's he's all baseball fans know this he is not a figurehead that sits in the dugout he's out there before the game working with the infielders working with whoever uh, it literally the interview took place four feet next to second base <laughs> while bp was going on behind the screen that's where we did the interview which i bring that up to say that um you know the comparisons have been made between mike and bobby as it relates to their sons with jeff and mike junior and we don't need to get into that whole conversation now but what i will say is bobby was a figurehead for the last several years of his tenure and football's different you got a bigger staff but but mike martin has never been the figurehead in that way if you go and watch batting practice he is out there he is actively involved engaged Every day. There, there are those who are critics of Mike Martin that
2: say he is too involved. Right, right. What, you know, calling, you know, don't swing on a one and, you know, a, a two and two count or a, a one and one count. You know, he, he, that he, he calls too many pitches. He calls too many takes. He, there are those that criticize the other way that he's too hands on. Uh, I don't know how you please anybody, but
1: that's life. I would say that if you watch college baseball in general, the coaches are too involved that, and too hands on in terms of managing the game i mean they dictate everything i'm speaking holistically across the board when you watch them uh you know they want to put their finger on everything uh which coaches in all sports probably do but that sho- that shows up in college baseball yeah, from time to time i would time. agree with that but but i i appreciate mike martin joining us he's what we didn't mention and we kind of take it for granted he's at 1850 something wins which means if they do what they do every year, which is win between 40 and 50 games. You know, 50 if you have a really good year, 44 or 45 if you have a win the regional, get to the super regionals kind of year, but maybe don't get to Omaha. He's going to plat- pass the 1900 win plateau. I, I, again, I don't have his win total in front of me, so I can't say definitely, but there's a pretty good chance that's going to happen this year. Uh, he's second behind only Augie Garrido in terms of overall wins, but he's first in terms of wins at the Division One level. Uh, he's either first or second in terms of winning percentage. FSU's got more wins than any program in the country since the year 2000. I mean, the list goes on well, and on. consecutive regional appearance. Which is uh, second only to Miami. Yeah, I mean, there's just all kinds of stuff. What he doesn't have and Florida State title? doesn't have is the national championship in Omaha. But
2: nobody in the ACC had had it for 60-something
1: years or whatever it was. Wake and Forest to, in 1955 until, until Virginia, Virginia last, year. last year. Yeah. So Clemson is saying the same thing et cetera, et cetera. It becomes that argument, and it happened to Bobby for a while, too, that it doesn't become a good thing on your resume it, to some when you have more at-bats, i.e., you made it to Omaha 15 times, asterisk, but you didn't win compared to somebody that went to Omaha one time or two times but did win, uh, which, you know, is a debate that will go on in terms of his legacy. And it's I, I know people that are FSU baseball fans would just love to see fsu get it but to see 11 get that and i'm one of them and and i'm one of them as well i was i was privileged enough to uh announce the baseball games with with lulu for for seven seasons it, it happened to coincide with buster posey moving behind the plate which will be a story i'll forever remember just watching and getting to call some of buster's games and for but,
2: some reason they let me do some television games for him. yeah which i thoroughly enjoyed it was it was amazing
1: but but you know it's kind of like bobby used to joke that uh, on his tombstone it would say at least he played miami uh, you know, I hope Mike Martins doesn't end up someday with the asterisk that he that he didn't win in Omaha because what he's been able to do over the years with the baseball program at FSU has been tremendous. It has a huge following. Uh, it will again this year. Uh, it's a really good product. And and there's guys that have been really good guys that continue to come through the program. Buster's as good as they get, uh, by the way, which is not a secret. People that follow FSU know that. And t- I'm talking not player. I'm talking off the field just in terms Correct. of being a first-class guy. So it'll be fun to watch uh, – what happens with this FSU team and how it grows up and how it matures this year. But the ACC no question is loaded. We didn't ask Mike about the experience last year with uh the the Louisville Ace when they went to to Louisville last year. As I understand it Louisville doesn't charge admission for their baseball games and they had quarter beer night on Friday night as FSU was in town to take on Louisville and their ace pitcher. So that's the dynamic you get there. Now you come to Hauser where there's a tremendous atmosphere and the animals have always done a great job. And I've been to LSU, and LSU's got a, a brand-new stadium. It's an nicer stadium, uh, and the fans are great. But to me, my wife won't be listening, I'll say it. It's the truth. It, it's it's more, much more sterile to me than what you get at FSU because you don't have the animals adding that flair, which is what makes it so unique and such a great atmosphere. Uh, this year they will sell beer at Hauser Stadium, I don't know all the particulars of it, except I think the limit is three, and they cut you off after the sixth inning, and uh, we'll just see how it goes. I'm fine with that. I, and I don't I, have a problem with it either. I'm probably apt to have one or two if I'm not in a working capacity there. there
2: there's $7 a piece.
1: Probably apt to have one. <laughs> but but that's no different than any other stadium. Correct. I mean, to me, baseball is a, a beer and a hot dog Kind of thing and and uh, it sounds really old time to say it now, because i I imagine that youngsters who can 't write in cursive because they don 't teach it anymore probably can 't score a baseball game either these days i don 't know if people grow up knowing how to do that
2: one of my favorite things, and I do it sometimes when i 'm listening on the radio is is to just keep the scorebook because it keeps you involved and and, and maybe it 's just an old guy thing i don 't know. I do remember one of my some of my fondest memories. When we would do games together, when uh, uh, Randy Orvitt's son, Tommy, was playing, and I'd always look down to the left, and Randy would be sitting with his wife, and he always kept a scorebook. Every game he watched his son play, he kept a scorebook. And that, to me, is just – the epitome of being a parent of a a baseball well lots
1: of people at hauser still do i'll wrap up the scorecard story by saying that gene deckerhoff has his scorecard from the game that he and link jarrett called for it may have been sunshine network at the time sun sports when marshall mcdougall hit six homers and it may be signed by marshall and i too would have kept that scorecard had i called that game we'll bounce back to basketball tim Linnefeld, our seminoles.com insider will join us right after this stay with us
0: To the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Only on 979 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith.
1: Go back to the front row. We'll get to Tim Linnefeld momentarily. Uh, FSU plays basketball tonight at 9. Do need to mention, uh, particularly for those of you in the Northeast, here's the plan. You uh, come down Thomasville Road, uh, you stop at the Flying Bear, you get dinner, and then you make your way to the Tucker Center for a 9 o'clock start. Uh, Thank you to uh, Brian and the fine folks at uh, Flying Bear. We talk about them uh, often on this program because they're kind enough to uh, support the front row.
2: Real good you're driving a Hobson Chevrolet when you make your way downtown. Well,
1: see, now Keith just turned it into a NASCAR segment because I need to welcome our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt to the program. Tim, uh, Peyton Manning's going to join us next to tell us he's going to drink a couple of buds. But how are you doing?
4: I'm doing fine. I have nothing to show for except for the usual things.
1: Well, I, I will say that... Uh, the versatility, flexibility, uh, you know, the way you accommodate our fluctuating schedule is much appreciated. It's been, been a little chaotic during this basketball season because KJ's on the road. I was on the road this week. So. Tim was with me last time. Yeah, he was with. Yeah, well, that's a whole another topic. You when know, I mean, we've already called him out for that, Tim, you're not going on the road again this year with basketball, are you?
4: I wouldn't tell you if I was. Yeah,
1: that's probably the. I, I'm sure you're going to the ACC only, tournament, but if you're I going, be
4: honest, I'm starting to think I'm getting a bad rap on this. You know, there's there's a lot of other guys that you know. Was, Keith catch anything for this?
1: Well, Keith's been there when they went on the road. There. Have you been on any? Yeah, but his percentage still isn't great it's better what is, oh, is yours over? better than yours yeah yeah it is okay <laughs> but I, it's a fair point hey, we got to point the finger of blame somewhere
2: it's not going unless there's a dinosaur
1: barbecue in the town that we're visiting or unless there's a blizzard uh impending because apparently those are the trips that he's made this year
4: there definitely have been some similarities i'll admit
1: yeah well tim uh basketball game tonight uh we don't need to i don't think talk and dissect too much more about the miami game because everybody's Still trying to get over the bad taste in their mouth uh, from Sunday. So that said, what's going to happen tonight at the Tuck as Georgia Tech is in town to take on FSU?
4: Well, uh, if, if Florida State has any designs uh, on on playing in the next month, they need to win this game. Uh, you know, if you look at what their body of work, um, more so or just as equally so to, to, to some of the good wins that they've had, uh, is the fact that they don't have any bad losses. Uh, and I mean, and bad losses to teams with low rankings in the RPI. We can. You know, debate those Miami and Pitt games if you want, but uh, but that changes if you lose to Georgia Tech a team that's really struggled. They're three and nine in the ACC. Um, just haven't they? They started off strong and just haven't been able to put anything together uh, since then. But but I think this game, you know, it actually could be a little more dangerous than folks would like to realize. Georgia Tech has the the top rebounder in the ACC. They also have the top three point shooter in the ACC. And if you look at some of those losses, they've actually been. Uh, pretty close and a lot of them they 've had some loss by one point, some lost by three points, some lost by five points, I think Florida State should expect to win, especially at home but But if they come in here thinking that they can just you know be automatic and pick up a win uh, that, that could be a pretty uncomfortable situation
1: well tonight to me is one of these classic games it 's the chicken and the egg argument. If you won more, fans would go to the Tucker Center more. But the flip side is if fans went to the Tucker Center more, maybe you'd win some more of your home games. So to me, I know there was a great atmosphere on Sunday. Now we've got a 9 o'clock midweek game. People are, are spent, maybe frustrated, disappointed that the team didn't win on Sunday. So the point I'm making is uh, there's not likely to be a raucous atmosphere in there tonight. I hope I'm wrong, but which makes it easier for the opposition to play, if that makes sense.
4: Yeah, it certainly could. And, and you know, you wonder if there's anything to the, the idea of intensity or, or passion or energy uh, from the home team, you'd like to think by this point in the season you can generate those things on your own. Uh, but at this point, you're going to have to because you know couple that with the fact that if, if you're just a, you know a, a big time college basketball fan living in Tallahassee, uh, there's a pretty good chance you're staying home to watch Duke and Carolina, which is unfortunately at the exact same time. So, so yeah, it, it could be a different kind of atmosphere in there, one that maybe doesn't uh, you know behoove itself to coming out with your hair on fire. But Florida State's going to have to fight through that. Uh, this is a game that they absolutely have to win. The next two, they absolutely, in my opinion, have to win. Uh, And and so they're going to have to find a way to do it.
2: Tim, uh, I have not talked to any of the kids since, uh, quote, unquote, the team meeting that uh, Corey and Safid reported in the Democrat. Um, Have you gotten any uh, insight or any uh, rumor mill about what was discussed? And was it a a good meeting, a bad meeting? Um, It's about the third time, I think, that the kids have have admitted that they've gotten together by themselves, which – I've got mixed emotions on whether that's a good or a bad thing, but but what are you hearing?
4: Well, I was there uh, yesterday when, when some of the players were talking about that, and uh, it, it sounded like there was a positive meeting, and, and Malik Beasley said, you know, just look at all the smiles out there on the court right now, and, and he was right at that particular instance. Most guys were smiling. Uh, but but they also said, I talked to Malik about it and Boris Bojanowski, and they both said it was a different kind of meeting, uh, and that the players got some things off of their chest, and and Malik expressed, Uh, The idea, and it's all kind of vague, the idea of of player issues. If a a player had some issues, it it was his opportunity to to vent about those issues and get them out on the table and get on the same page uh, with with his teammates. And, you know, again, they they didn't want to get into too many specifics, and, and I understand that. But at the same time, you know, you can read between the lines and look at, you know, what happened at the end of that game. And I guess Miami, and think, you know, some folks might not have been too happy with each other after that game with the way it played out and, and, and some things that, that transpired in the last few few, uh, few seconds there. I, I think the important thing from a Florida State perspective is rather than let any of those potential issues fester, and, and again, this is me kind of reading in between the lines. I don't have it, you know, uh, nobody would, would go on the record about that, but to, if there were any potential issues, rather than let them fester, what we seem to have is them saying that we got it all out, we got it on the table, and, and we're good now. Uh, and we'll see tonight whether or not that actually is true, but the fact that they sort of brought that up on their own, and because nobody asked, did you have a, you know, a players-only meeting or what have you, that, that, was, that was volunteered. Uh, the fact that it was that much on their minds to, one, do it, and, then, two, to talk about it afterward, I think that's probably a positive. Well, this
2: is a very close group. In fact, uh, this is year number 16 for me um, doing the games, and I, I, I can't tell you another group that I would say is, is as tight-knit as this group is.
4: Yeah, they, they certainly seem that way. You know, uh, I've been, been able to go with you on the road and, and be on the bus and on the plane and all that sort of thing. And you know, it, I have a hard time gauging you know closeness of teams, especially through the years. But but it definitely seems like a group that likes to be around each other. And look, it's not uncommon at all for emotions to be running high after a game like the one we saw on Saturday. It's just that's the nature of, of sports and the nature of the team sports, especially. So you know, I, I wouldn't put too too much stock into it. But you know, the other thing I would think is like the, the two games that. um that, that were listed as, um, as, as games that the, the players held a meeting afterward. One was against Iowa and the other was against Hoster. And those were pretty close together. But, but both times, uh, of course, they came out of those games uh, and played out of those losses and, and played really well for extended period of time, especially after that Iowa game, which sparks their longest winning streak of the season. So, I'm not saying that that's guaranteed to happen again. But at least there's a positive track record. We'll keep our fingers crossed. It'd
1: be a good time for the longest win streak of the season. If they wanted to, you know, run off six, seven, eight in a row right now, that wouldn't be bad. Time would, would certainly be great. come in handy. Yeah, it would certainly come in handy. Are you of the opinion, Tim, right now, still that uh, nine and nine gets them in, or where do you stand?
4: Uh, it would make me uncomfortable. Uh, it could, uh, you know. It, I think at that point, you're it, it's kind of dependent on what the rest of the national landscape looks like and what other teams have done. To get to that point, I would feel much better. Obviously, with ten and eight, much better with ten and eight, Uh, and then even after that, winning at least one game in the tournament. Uh, But nine and nine, you're you're probably going to be sweating it out. That's not to say you won't get in, but you're you're going to be awfully nervous on Selection Sunday.
1: Flip the script here real quickly on the women's side. They're not going to be nervous on Selection Sunday. They're probably going to be hosting. Uh, I've been around uh, women's basketball for a while over the years, called games for a lot of years. And uh, early on this season, I wasn't convinced that this year's team could be as good as last year's, but now they've run off 11 in a row in the conference. They're at Syracuse tomorrow night, then Notre Dame, who all they've done since they entered the ACC on the women's side is that they just never lose a conference game. They're the what, Connecticut of ACC. Yeah, that's what they've become. Uh, unfortunately, Connecticut is still the Connecticut of NCAA women's basketball, so, th- <laughs> so they're still out there. But exactly. I- I'm going a long way to say, what's your general thoughts on, on what this team can, uh, how they can finish up and what they can accomplish this year?
4: Uh, I've been uh, extremely impressed with, with what they've been able to do. I was kind of like you. You looked it. The way they started uh, in some of those games and, and the start of ACC play way back when it feels like a long time ago now. You're like, oh gosh, maybe you know, they missed making Conner right more than than I thought that they would. But since then, I think they've really kind of come together. It seems they've figured out how to play with each other, and I think that maybe took a little bit of time. But that Notre Dame game is going to be hard. It's going to be really hard. But it, but it also has the potential to be you know maybe one of the best atmospheres that, that women's basketball has seen. Uh, in in Tallahassee, maybe ever. I know the the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament last year were really great, uh, but it's a situation you talk about the atmosphere at the, at the men's game tonight, then could that be a factor? Well, could it be a factor the other way. Um, come Monday, I, I don't know what kind of road crowds Notre Dame is used to playing in front of, but if this one's a tough one, and maybe that plays a maybe that plays a factor. Um, so, and I don't want not to say that you know, overlook Syracuse, but I think that just that home game on Monday night, I, I think will really kind of tell you. I think the expectations are high, regardless. I, I think this is absolutely a team that can at least match last year's and, and potentially make a run to the elite eight. Uh, it it kind of comes down to and you hate to say it, but you know whose bracket do you get in the NCAA tournament? Are, are you are you matched up with UConn? Because if you are, that's going to be tough. Yeah. But if it's... not, then but if not, then you know there's knows what can happen. They were a few seconds away from the final four last year. Uh, they probably thought they should have made it, and then. You know, from there, depending on how much you know I think there's a team that certainly can contend with any of those you know five six seven eight teams that have a serious shot at the final four. they're definitely in that mix
1: yeah selection uh Sunday when it comes out or I, maybe it's selection Monday for the women, I forget offhand if you see UConn in your bracket, it's like a death sentence like I, I think most of women's college basketball would be okay with just giving four or five buys in a row to geno's team and and let us have a chance to make it out of our
4: bracket but hey, some, at that point maybe it might throw them out of rhythm a little bit you might like that
1: yeah exactly well monday night seven o'clock tip it's painted pink night hopefully there is a great atmosphere for uh sue's team tim great job as always uh enjoy the game tonight and uh we know since you're there uh that it's going to be a win we've got that checked we're checking the box on that one tim
4: absolutely uh, this is the one where i finally uh i finally clear my name from any of these wrongdoings and get back on the right track. I got a good feeling
1: about it. All right, excellent. Tim Linnefeld, our Seminoles.com. insider. course, uh, after the game, after any or before any FSU uh, game, for that matter, go to Seminoles.com for all the latest on FSU athletics. Some final parting thoughts from KJ and yours truly right after this on the front row. We
3: don't need no thought control
0: listening to The Front Row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the row at 97.9 ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith.
1: Welcome back to The Front Row. Just a couple of minutes to go. Uh, KJ, how would you like to spend
2: this? Uh, I think we should talk something about sports.
1: Well, that seems like a good idea. I'm uh looking back at this I don't have the time frame uh, right on this but I was going to share as Mike Martin was kind enough to join us uh, put in perspective 37th year as head coach his very first victory his first series as head coach was 1980 at Miami <clears throat> he it may have been the third game they may have lost the first two it was an opening day it was in the same 24-hour period that the usa Do you believe in miracles the usa hockey team beat the soviets beat russia um, so i mean think about how long ago that feels the miracle on ice that's how long mike martin's been the head baseball coach at fsu
2: well to just redouble that 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 that, that was my senior year at college well, <laughs> it's even longer ago than i realized <laughs> now we've really put it in perspective how about this and we've mentioned this before but uh i'm a uh, uh, I'm going to repeat it anyway. Al Michaels does that game. By the way, it was done to tape. It wasn't done live.
1: Right. Well, the hockey was... game.
2: And then he gets promoted to ABC number one on the college crew. My last game in Doak Campbell Stadium was against the Florida Gators. Al Michaels is doing the game with legendary coach Eric uh, Parsegian. And I spent the entire game covering Chris Collinsworth. So on Sundays now – When I'm watching the NFL, I'm watching Michaels and Collinsworth, I think their careers budded a little higher than mine did.
1: Just a thought. Yeah, well, Michaels uh, had a stint in Hawaii for a couple of years when he was coming up calling baseball there. He also went from Hawaii, and I think he became a local TV guy there, to, to calling the Big Red Machine. And then became the Miracle on Ice, and then everything else. So things have worked out just fine. For he's a, done okay. He's done okay. You have two, KJ. I don't I'm, care. I don't I'm, care what I am they say. I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. Are Chris and Al Michaels on the front row right now with me? There you go. We'll do this again next week, folks. We appreciate it. Thanks to Tim Linnefelt. Thanks to Mike Martin. And uh, we did not have a topic for another show this week, so we, we went over there anyway. We'll talk to you again next week, folks.